Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Rock Hill, South Carolina at the Revan Studio. And uh, my name is Jason Broadwater. My name is Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town USA. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to start with uh, just, you know, something wise, something funny, something uh, colloquial maybe from Silent Micah. Silent Micah? Well said, well said. That was <laughs> very folksy. Man, he's funny, dude. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> Chris, how are you doing, man? Oh, gosh, I'm dying with laughter. I'm dying <laughs> with the disease of laughter now. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you look handsome. Thanks. Yeah. Thank um, you. All right, well, to introduce our actual guest, her name is not Noah Norton. Her name is Nora Orton. You got it. All right, welcome, Nora. Thank you. Great. So you have come down here from Charlotte, right? Yep. Yep. And what do you do in Charlotte? Um, I do a bunch of things. I work for my family to, you know, make money. And then nice. my less lucrative project is uh, Charlotte Storytellers, which is basically a storytelling group. We meet every single Monday. We do these free workshops. And they've been drawing about like 30 people. And wow, then yeah. we take the best stories from the workshops and we put them into showcases and do like various projects around Charlotte. So a storyteller's work. So you really, you're getting together and, and working on the craft of telling stories? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, you, you come and we have certain rituals that we do every single week. So, um, like levitate people, burn yeah. candles, light right. as a feather, stiff as a board. Right, is yeah. always, always a classic. <laughs> Sacrifice a goat. <laughs> right. Yep. We yep. play Monopoly. Yeah. We yeah. ran out of goats. So, right. um, been there. But yeah, so we come and um, everybody checks in. So you say check in and you say whatever you want about your day. Kind of like what you guys just did to start the podcast, podcast just to sort of introduce your presence in the room. It's a lot of people who, it, it's a lot about shedding your mundane nine to five life and stepping into your sort of more honest self. Mm-hmm. So you check in, we do a bunch of really weird warm-ups like screaming and contorting your bodies that kind of thing um so uh, new people are always like what are they screaming because the contorting their body hurts or (laughs) are there independent exercises um i wouldn't say they're independent i'd say they're related (laughs) like how you scream and how you contort your body are sort of like um conceptually linked but you're not like contorting because you're in pain 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 is not the driving factor right you know go ahead i would say it's interesting i i'm never comfortable on public transportation until i've done those exercises (laughs) as soon as i get on then i can and weirdly nobody ever sits next to you yeah yeah Yeah, so we do that and then we have a bunch of games that we play um some are kind of typical improv games and then some are storytelling games that we've sort of accrued over the last couple of years. So like one is called three sentence stories where you have a topic and you have to tell a story in three sentences Mm, or one word story where we go around in the room and everyone says one word, like that kind of thing. And so we spend the first hour doing all of that. And then the second hour is just stories. So we've published online that there's a theme for that week. And people will have, about five people maybe, will have prepared a story on that theme. So they'll tell the story, and each person, if they so choose, gets feedback. So we do a whole critique, and we kind of give guidelines on how to do that critique. How to do that, yes. Yeah. So do they okay. read 
or do they? It's it's a mix. So, for example, for me, I used to write everything out for my stories, and then I would read them. And then if I were to perform them, I would just memorize it like that. Some people have no notes at all. Some people have, like, beats that they want to hit. It's a really – yesterday, someone read, like, a gorgeous narrative poem. It's kind of – it's it's whatever you want to call a story, and it's however you want to tell it. So usually writers write – a lot of people who are just sort of gregarious, charming people will just Mm – tell a story off the cuff but either way you can give that person feedback like um so our whole thing is be uh concise specific and compassionate in your feedback so Mm -hmm. you know our example is always um if someone tells a story you don't say i liked your tone Mm -hmm. you would say your tone of sarcasm when you were discussing Silent Micah was really funny, but I wish you had kept it throughout the podcast for consistency's sake or something like that. So you give someone a clear directive and you just, you aren't an a-hole basically when you give it. Yeah. You know, um, I've been in a lot of groups where you give feedback and stuff. I used to write a lot and uh, I did a master's program up at, uh, at Goddard College in Vermont and the whole culture of that place was similar to what you described. It was very much the chairs in a circle. Um, you share your work, then let's follow um, some good positive rules on giving feedback, and now you share your work. And right. Very positive thing. And Asheville, I was involved in that a lot in Asheville too. And uh, I always thought it was great, a great way to kind of have creative expression because, you know, so many people are like in their home alone creating and, right. and seeing the only outlet as like becoming rich and famous somehow, and there's no middle ground, you know. Definitely, definitely, yeah. it's it's very much advertised as a sounding board. So a lot of people come with unfinished work. It's a really good place to um, kind of figure out where you want to take a story, or you you tell it, and sometimes people's interpretation is completely different than what you would expect. And mm-hmm. so, for example, um, for one thing, our group. Um, has a really interesting mixture of people in terms of age, in terms of occupation. And, like, Charlotte has a lot of domestic expats. Like, um, I'm from California, um, grew up in the Bay Area, which is very, very liberal. Um, And so I told this story about, like, sex culture in high school. And I I had all of these assumptions that I I was like, everyone's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, half the room grew up in purity culture. And they're like, what in the world is this? Like, that's a... And so you you tell uh, your story and you you really get all this array of reactions. And I never would have even thought that people would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, and because it's not just about shock. It's about what does this mean? Like, what, what, am I, what am I getting out of this? Because everything you're saying is completely insane to me and shocking. So it's like, it, it, that completely throws off your narrative. Like I, for instance, I've, it, Jaws is my favorite movie. I just now got around to reading the book. It, it's written in like the late 60s, early 70s. And early on, it's like there's a cop who's like in Jaws. He's the cop that finds the couple or whatever. And he's like talking to somebody else. And he's like talking about how like nothing ever happens around here. And he's like, last summer, um, a bunch of, I don't, I don't want to say it because it's all for it. I don't want to the podcast. But he says like the F-A-G-T right, right, keyword. Right. And he says, had a 
party up at the da 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 dance and like it's from I know if I read that book now what that means but to hear a cop say that oh there's a villain right yeah but in in 1972 I don't know like is this a villain do you know what I mean I have no right. clue and I honestly truly don't know if that guy's supposed to be a villain because he said that or not because it's the 70s yeah. or would it just have rung true you know yeah. that's like uh, if you go back and watch Lethal Weapon you know that movie uh, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. um, there's this scene where they're talking about how the like girl that died. Like, it was like, well, maybe she was with the girl, and then her man came in. And she was like, well, maybe the girl was her partner. And uh, yeah. the main actor, what's his name? Danny Glover, the other No, actor? the other or, main oh, guy. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he goes, gross, but okay. And it's like, oh, about, and like, yeah, about, yeah. yeah, wow. Like, man, the two girls yeah. were together. Yeah, it's so funny. And yeah, that movie like, came out, like, what, three years before? You'd never make that joke. Yeah, right. I mean, you could still, at that time period, have made, you could have you had characters saying that about males, but I think... Right, sure, the yeah. idea of this like rough and tumble cop saying anything but like hell yeah yeah like, right, make any exactly sense, yeah. yeah so do you have uh Nora when you're having groups together I mean do you find that people look for ways to shock sometimes and is it is that sometimes counterproductive sure that's a good question I think so. Part of my answer for that is if you're telling a story once in like a casual situation, shock value goes a really long way. Um, but we we have kind of a tiered system where the meeting is the most casual kind of thing that we do. You can share anything. It's a safe space, whatever you want. Then the next step after that is called the story slam, which is an open mic. So you're inviting the public in. It's not. It's still not super rehearsed, but maybe we've workshop the story once or twice and then members from the community come in it's still a performance and then a showcase is um we rehearse for about a month it's highly polished and curated and there's auditions and so a shock value story would work a lot better at maybe a meeting or a story slam but once you're getting to a showcase and you're telling the story like over Over and and over over again It just, it doesn't, it can't carry the story. That's and And you get to the point where the shock has to accomplish something in the narrative. Yeah. So it, it can't be just shocking for shocking's sake. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I'm working on a story for a showcase, I'm like, well, what are you trying to say? Why are you, you know, taking your time and breath to get on stage and tell all these people something and so every single element including shock needs to be pushing you towards whatever right. that is so it's one device in other words exactly yeah, among a lot of different yeah, right. devices yeah exactly yeah I, you know um another thing i experienced when i was in kind of a storytelling culture um when, when i was doing my writing my book and all that um was that there was a there was a culture that had formed there that was um at the time, memoirs were huge, and the the more awful thing that happened to you, the better memoir it was. Right. And and, I, and I'm saying that tongue in cheek, of course, and I don't mean to be insensitive, but like, it was almost like uh, it was embarrassing to not have been some, have had something awful happen to <laughs> yeah. you. You know what I mean? And it was like, it, it, so it so so what if it would have been something else besides that i don't know but the point was that whatever it was it was a memoir with horrible things in it but it could have been something else whatever it was people started all kind of writing that same thing it created this kind of um i don't know it it it, it started to worry me that people weren't being as individually 
Right, it was sort of like a standard. Or... Yeah, it was like creating the standard. And everybody thought, well, if I'm not working on a memoir, then I'm just wasting my time. Oh, sure. and they have to pull something from their past. That that's like traumatic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that became like that equals good writing, and the rest yeah. of it is like kind of tinkering. You know, do you find that there's a – that because you get together – and because there's going to be dominant personalities in the group and there's going to be like what those people tend to do, do people ever feel like, well, God, I kind of wanted to do something totally different, but it's not welcome there. I mean, how do you protect against that? Sure. That's a good question. Um, for what it's worth, that hasn't been a problem. Um, so last night the theme was lit. Uh, we just started meeting at a place called Charlotte Lit. It's the Center for Literary Arts, and they're really awesome, letting us use their space. Um, so we wanted to kind of commemorate that with our theme for the week. And if I can remember, um, there was a story about a guy who lit himself on fire as a child like, oh, and oh, tried oh, the oh. stop, drop, and roll, and it was more painful than they oh, <laughs> lead wow, you yeah. to believe. Um, there was uh, a story about um, a woman and her English teacher and, like, their relationship and how he, you know, really wanted her to be successful. So obviously just take those two and they're completely different. And then there was a poem about, you know, a woman and her relationship with God. Right. So because there is no standard, because the population is so disparate, um, I could see how if there was a group of maybe even five people who are all telling the same type of story and getting really positive feedback, maybe everybody would jump on the bandwagon. Right, right, but yeah. there just hasn't been any like standard narrative yet. But I could right. definitely see how that would be a problem. And I think in terms of like the question of specifically like a traumatic narrative being, you know, the only way to get people's attention. Some people just haven't had bad stuff happen to them, right. but they still have really good stories because it's all about how you set up the stakes. Because in one situation, um, like, and it works on like a bodily level. So imagine like you're walking and you step on like a sharp rock that like really hurts and right. you notice it. If you're a soldier in the middle of battle and you have a wound, right. you step on that same rock and you, you won't it. notice it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's all about. Both of those stories are really valid, but it's all about the context that you set up. Like, yeah. there could be a story where the climax of the story is the bus arrived. Right, yeah. And Absolutely, it's yeah. just all about how you set it up. Yeah, Absolutely. Totally. I think, well, and I think having a theme changes that dynamic too, because you go from, uh, you can write anything, it was very overwhelming. And I think that that's why people are going to gravitate to those kinds of things. And the idea of like personal trauma or whatever, like that's never going to go away. That's always going to be a thing that people will go to. Yeah. And that just kind of comes down to modern society. And, um, you know, we tell stories because like the at the core and heart of storytelling is for the same reason that a caveman draws a painting on the wall. What does he draw? He draws himself fighting buffalo or whatever, <laughs> you know, like... Um, a T-Rex. He draws himself <laughs> fighting a T-Rex. Um, like arm wrestling a T-Rex. Yeah, or just existing at the same time as a T-Rex yeah. and kind of giving a thumbs up. And, uh, like, this here. happened, I yeah. swear. Yeah, and like the reason like everyone says how we, if you don't have conflict, you don't have a story. But the thing is, is that, that it is true. Like that's, that's like this platitude thing that people will say. But th- the point is, uh, stories are, the value of stories is their synthesis of, of our experience. Yeah. And that is everything from a rock to being in war, 
to breaking up with your significant other, to being in a car accident, to having a bad day. Um, right. What else do we do but seek release from fear? And what do we get from stories but a momentary, tiny little shot in the arm of release? Yeah. And so that's why trauma, because that's not because we don't. Like, I love horror movies, and I love creatures, and the weirder and dumber and less realistic the creatures are, the more I love it. But, like, we don't have, there's no one-eyed, you know, monster outside, you know? So, um, but trauma is, that's what that is, you know? Right. Like, um, like, or getting mugged or whatever. Um, those are our actual monsters. So, like, those are always going to pop up in stories. Yeah, it's e- I guess, it, again, back to what, Nora, you were saying a while ago, I mean, it's easy to um, introduce shock it's an easy way to get a response from a from an audience, right? You know, and you don't have to necessarily have crafted an, an excellent story or created a moment of truth really at all. I mean, look at the television. Yeah. You know, it's it's covered with. I look at twenty uh, four hour news channels and these. It's just covered with stories that are just about. Sh- it's like they move from one to the next. This amount of people died. This person was horribly. You know, it's like on and on. I mean, do you find that um, that in getting together and telling stories, obviously you're having experiences of truth as individuals who are artists, but do you find that it takes on any type of, um, oh, sorry, I hit the mic, Silent Micah. Silent Micah just yelled at me. Oh, gosh. Would you stop With yelling? With his body language. Stop oh, yelling, Silent Micah. Ouch. I'm talking of trauma. I'm gonna, I'm All right, gonna, now I can write a traumatic Yeah, now memoir. I think I can really say something. <laughs> yeah, but do you find that not only is it... Um, you know, an expression of art that people can come and witness and be part of a moment of truth, but also does it take on a social moray uh, kind of anti the culture maybe that we're seeing on TV or um, or not anti, I don't know. I think in a sense, maybe not exactly how you described, but um, I had never even really categorized it as an arts group until everybody else did. Um, and it definitely there is an arts element that especially with the performance, but the weekly workshops sort of part arts, part hangout, part group therapy, part a a million other things. And I think the predominant thing that we, um, are sort of inadvertently fighting, you know, I love my technology. I, I think there are ways to use technology to, um, make the world better and to increase our communication. But it really gets in the way of there's nothing like I'm looking in your eyes, I'm hearing you talk right in front of me, like I put my hand on your shoulder as you're telling me this. There's nothing that can replace that. Right. There's no digital interface that can create the sort of brain uh, state that you're in. And so a while back we were doing our meeting, they're about two hours long, and someone said, this is the only two hours of my week where I'm not looking at a screen wow. at all. And it's a couple of people, especially who kind of have the learning style of like needing to be distracted by things from time to time, they'll pull out their phones or like if someone is kind of processing, they'll maybe check out and look at their cell phone or something. But generally, it's a time where 20 to 30 people are looking at each other yeah. and not at a screen. And I think that's really powerful. And I think... Um, you see it in our shows too. It's we can set up in any abandoned warehouse in any you know. It's like the kids on the street with trash cans as soccer goals. We can go anywhere because it really is a person talking, people listening, and that's it. And I think that's really special and something to be preserved. And that's sort of a way maybe we're counterculture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I see that. H- how 
just just for my frame of reference here, and you may have said this before, but w- what's the frequency? So you, the meetings are once a week, and then, yeah. the, show, okay, and then the shows are how often? The or? shows we have um, about once a quarter, okay. and those are those are for the really big shows. So okay. we started out. Um, our first one was. Um, last April and it was like a total mess. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, and we had maybe, we were really shocked. We had like 70 people come to it. Um, up until, you know, our last show, we did it it over two nights. We probably had like more than a hundred people at each show. So it's really grown, but it's a ton of work and all of my, myself and my co-leads all have like real people jobs as well. So once a quarter seems like a really good amount of time. And then in between on the months that we're not doing those shows, we'll do a story slam where people can still perform, but all we have to do is like market it and set it up. Yeah. Where do you do those? Do you move them around? Yeah. Every single show or story slam has been in a different location. Oh, wow. So we like to pair with local businesses. We pair with nonprofits. So for our story slams, a lot of the time the entrance fee is either money or you know, a can of food to go to this local organization or, um, we did one that was either pay $5 or bring a bag of compostable goods and give it to this local compost company. So, um, that's another important thing sort of to what we do is, um, staying in touch with lots of local arts groups and businesses and nonprofits um, and kind of bringing people together for really cool stuff. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, I mean, you need kind of a, seems like you need kind of a urban energy to pull something like this off. I mean, it, it would be hard to do out in the out in the county, out in the unincorporated county. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think if you go back to the image of um, soccer in the streets, to to get the bells and whistles and the lights and the kind of trendy Instagram photos, maybe maybe you do need that urban energy. But the core of what we do is still sit in a circle, have a theme, right. tell stories, which help each other do be anywhere. better. Which you could do anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So you have um did you start this organization? Um yeah, I started it with a couple of other people. Okay. Yeah. And um is it is it a franchise of a brand, or you started the y'all's own thing? Um, so it's something I did in college, and um, and they had a storytelling group there, and I performed with them. And then I moved here, not knowing, or not here, here. I moved to Charlotte, not knowing anybody, really below the Mason Dixon line. Um, <laughs> and so, which we still observe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. of course. Did you Actually, have to I knew have some people in DC. <laughs> Yeah. Did you yeah. have to put on a straw hat? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm from the West Coast, so it's kind of, I'm laissez-faire. I can go uh, exactly. whichever. Yeah. Well, you have to cross it by ferry. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's the only way in or out. Exactly. Yeah. You have to make a Huck Finn raft. <laughs> <thingy>. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. exactly how it went down. Um, but yeah, so we took a lot of elements from that, and then kind of each of the founders added some sort of element. So we added in a lot of theatrical stuff. We added in... Um, I mean, even the fact that it's not in a university setting really changes it yeah, because right. in college there's like an implied safe space. There's an implied we're all here to learn. We're all here to be better people. Whereas um, in you know the state of nature outside of the college bubble, mm-hmm. you have to actively create that. Yeah. So um, so at this point, 
we've taken a lot of elements from that group, but sort of started our own thing and definitely are looking um, to create some sort of model that we can scale and teach, you know, other people to, to do it. And, you know, I have, all of us have friends in other cities who are like, how do I do this? How do I get involved? So, you know, it, it would be awesome if this could be something that other cities could get involved with and a way for people to come together, not only within those cities, but sort of have moments where all the storytelling groups come together and create kind of a greater understanding. Yeah, that's great. I remember uh, in Asheville that uh, we used to put on events and things, and there was a group, there was a storytellers group that would get together, and I never went to it. And as a writer, I went to several, you know, in Asheville groups that would do writing workshops and uh, poetry readings, and but I was always fascinated with the storytellers group, and I had this misconception, or whatever the word would be, I had this m- misunderstanding that it would be, you know, this... Um, like, you know, 65-year-old woman with a bonnet on telling yeah. about old Jim out on the farm. You yeah, know? the devil came down from the mountains <laughs> looking for a mason jar to put his eyeballs in. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Continue, because yeah. that's fascinating, oh, yeah, actually. It is, it is. The, traditionally, that's what I think a lot of storytelling groups have been in the past. I think, I don't know if the one that you're talking about was or not, um, but I don't. I guess maybe NPR has changed that a uh, lot. Maybe so. Yeah. Like giving, yeah. Because, I mean, that's, it's such a, and you guys do a podcast. Yeah. As, as well. Yeah. So definitely want to shout, shout that out. The okay. Charlotte Storytellers podcast, it's on anywhere that you could find a podcast. So that's where we, I'll just be brief. Basically, we take, we generate so much content between like meeting every single week. So we'll take a lot of our favorite ones from those and put them on the podcast and have a discussion about the storyteller, the story kind of, and that's how great. those things, yeah, it's, it's really cool. My, my roommate, uh, Ramya runs it out of our closet in our apartment. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so uh, say the name of it again. The Charlotte Storytellers Podcast. Okay, cool. Storytellers yeah. is one word. Available wherever podcasts are accessible. Yeah. Yes. So like at the sports bar, you could be like, you could get right, the bartender's yeah. attention and be like, can you put this TV on um, this podcast for be me? Be like, yeah, I'll take a cheeseburger and a podcast, <laughs> a podcast. some fries. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte Storytellers Podcast, please. <laughs> I said it. And a milkshake. And a milkshake. Do you want to supersize that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, you do. Um, very cool. So um, so you record all the sessions. Then. We we used to record the sessions, and we have a, a, a nice little backlog of stories. At this point, um, we don't record the sessions, and then that gives the person a chance to complete another draft of whatever story they told, and then they'll come on the um, on the podcast. And sometimes, um, what's really cool is they'll tell a story from like a year ago. And so you can talk to the storyteller, you know, how have you changed since you wrote this or how has this played out since then? So it's a nice retrospective on the story. And I bet that, um, and this is just my own personal preference. I would, I would like to not for the meetings to not be recorded and have a chance to come in for a recording session because I just there's something about when you start recording yeah. that changes something in the air. Definitely, your, your ability to express yourself gets altered because so, you're thinking that there's some type of future presentation mm. of what's happening right now. Definitely, you know? definitely. But the thing is, is and that's totally true, and I don't think you can ever completely change that. But the NPR thing, and then also podcasts in general, I think are trying to to 
give you a glimpse of the it's an rec audio recording that's trying its best to give you a glimpse of the non-recorded reality. Right. I think that's the point of it. Like that's right. what Ira Glass always <clears throat> talks about how he was he had like a really horrible career when he started out and was going like I'm Ira Glass da 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 da. Yeah. And it's like he realized one day that like he could just talk. And as soon as he started doing that, like he, his career took off and became Ira Glass. Well, I mean, I think that that's why Nixon was so polite not to tell anybody that he was recording them in the White House. Really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. He just didn't want them to feel self-conscious. Exactly. Yeah. He, was a, he was a sensitive, compassionate man. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't know why they called him Dick. Yeah. I don't know either. Maybe because <laughs> he was so sensitive. But we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when his real name was like. Johnny. Yeah, Johnny Nixon. <laughs> Johnny Nixon. Nixon. But everyone called him Dick. <laughs> so um, what about having some type of where people get to watch the experience of the meeting? So have you ever thought about, you know, you have these shows where you, you have the meetings where you workshop, but then you turn and face or an individual turns and faces and presents. And that's the format, which is great. Um, have you ever thought about kind of the audience watching y'all in a circle workshopping with each other is that of any value um i haven't really thought about that i it's challenging for me to think that anybody is interested in my life or what i'm up to right. like even <laughs> even for a podcast i sort of expect it expect any podcast with me in it to be highly curated in what i say because um, Wait, this part's going to be edited out, so yeah, feel okay, free to good, say whatever okay. you want. Yeah, But um, <laughs> it's interesting, though. I think there is sort of this call for, like, a voyeuristic yeah. experience of seeing people, like you said, kind of live their lives and speak freely. Um, so, so in you know, my first reaction is, why would anyone care? My second reaction is, well, you know, why would anyone care about anything or right, anyone yeah. at all? Um, That's not a very millennial sentiment. Yeah, You're I guess supposed to not. be like, why would anyone care about anything but my life? Yeah, no, I'm just sort of like uh, tend to think. Uh, but but the work that I do is sort of exactly the opposite of that, that every single story counts. And every, right, right. Um, so in terms of showing the workshops, I think um, there is kind of a sanctity to the fact that I think it would threaten the safe space. Yeah, I can ask you that. But in terms of, I mean, we definitely have an interest in, um, especially for people in kind of the business world or in organizations, to tailor what we do towards what they're trying to accomplish. So to be able to hold our workshops for other people. Yeah. Um, and then we also, we did a really weird event um, about a month ago. So... Um, there's an organization called Taproot, which is sort of a performance art, dance, theater group. They're really interesting. And then this guy who runs um, this place, Union Shop Studio, it's an artist co-working space. Um, all very like artsy terms that mm -hmm. I didn't know until very recently. But they came together and got this grant to do a project called No Vacancy. And what it was was an empty warehouse that um, the the guy, he's a... Uh, furniture maker and he built a motel inside of this warehouse wow this like old style of motel i can show you guys pic oh. pictures after this but and then there were four rooms and artists came in and filled each room with stuff to sort of create a concept or a story of maybe who was there and yeah. one was like a hydroponic garden <clears throat> one looked like it belonged to a serial killer yeah it was a really and so every week or so this summer they're having 
they're having groups come in and perform in the space. Oh, wow. So we were given this task, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so avant-garde. I have no idea (laughs) what to do. So we did kind of a hybrid of the meetings and a show and it was we called it an interactive workshop so we had people come in and we were all in character as though we were um, workers at this haunted motel (laughs) and we had people we basically had exercises in each room like different storytelling games that we could play in each room that really had people like interact and touch and deal with the rooms and then after all those exercises we all came together and told stories like on the mic kind of as though it was a performance so there are kind of ways to um add a performative Mm. a a greater performative element to the meetings yeah that's interesting because you know it's like you were talking about the looking at screens all the time adds a new value to personal interaction and that's the the big trend and um like amusement whatever like entertainment like the idea of like a fun house or whatever a horror haunted house has been replaced by these like interactive live there's like actors you go through gosh it's like open to anything there's all kinds of different uh it's like it's basically sort of a maze concept but um you go through it and there'll be this narrative and there's actors that you're interacting with and stuff um that's this huge thing now you'll get some warehouse space somewhere you'll build a set and uh like in orlando there were there were several of them like pretty much every big city has like is there one in Charlotte? I think there actually is, yeah. Um, like an interactive yeah, performance like, group? Or? I don't know what the actual name is. for. It's almost like an interactive haunted house, but it doesn't necessarily have to be haunted. Right. right. And I think more often it isn't. It's, it, or it can be, but it's just interactive. And even a lot of like haunted houses do that. They move to this like narrative with actors and stuff. But um, like there was one in Orlando that was like this science fiction thing where you would like you had to pick a team and give yourself a name or something and da 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 but there's this uh you're interacting with people and so i think it's that isn't just a trend that happened because well that trend just happened somebody thought of it once and then caught on and people did it i think it makes sense it makes sense that you would seek something like that out as opposed to as much as i love my favorite thing about being a human is going to the movies and sitting in front of a screen but um the idea that you and live theater has never been my thing because it just wasn't because I'm a movie nerd. But the idea that you would go watch a live performance and be in it makes so much sense now because yeah. you would crave that more since you're constantly staring at the Totally, yeah. And I think, you know, you were describing all kinds of ways to tell stories. I mean, the people who come in and decorate space and are telling a story by Absolutely. the way they decorate space. Yeah, so our very first show, and this is all so new and strange to me. I um, I was vaguely involved in storytellers in college, but I was like studied hard sciences and played soccer. I didn't really engage with the arts at all. So we had our first show a bit in like this empty warehouse that had um, like a koi pond in it. it, it when you're looking for free spaces, you end up with really interesting yeah, right. spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, my roommate... Um, is a designer and one of the other co-founders was a theater major. So they had all of these ideas. So the way it felt when you walked in, you open the door and the first thing you see is a maker space. And you're like, I can't be in the right place. This is really strange. But there's an era that says story story showcase this way. Mm. So you're like, okay, you follow the, the arrow and you open the door and it's dark. It's really dark. But you see dimly lit Charlotte Storytellers. Right. And you look to your right, and there's a carpet, 
and it's lit up on either side with um, string lights. And you're like, oh, well, that must be where I'm supposed to go. And so you go in it, and it leads up to this curtain that's been basically cinched just high enough for you to duck into it. That's also lined with lights. And you go inside, and when you arrive, you've basically stepped into someone's living room, but in the middle of this warehouse. And there's pillows and blankets and couches and this, like, very, like, warm colors feel. There's lights hung from the rafters. There's a giant elephant just in the room (sighs) that, like, had been someone else's set. So did somebody, please tell me somebody said, we need to address the elephant. (laughs) Yes, we definitely said that. And then the next guy. (laughs) And then said that too. Yeah. 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 And so, and I had never thought about it before, but again, a huge part of what we do is shedding your sort of adult self. You're Mm -hmm. like, you know, the part of you that thinks life is really complex and just being like, you know what? Life is really simple. All Mm -hmm. I need to be entertained tonight is to hear someone talk Mm -hmm. about their lives. And so, um, and then basically what we try to do is there's some sort of shedding aspect. So in that case, everybody took off their shoes and then you receive something. So one of our kind of gimmicky things that I really love is, um, so at a poetry slam, when you like something, you're encouraged to snap. And so what we do is we give everybody a little thing of bubbles. (laughs) And whenever you hear something that really resonates with you, you blow bubbles into the air. So a storyteller will say something really powerful, and you'll just see this shimmering That's above neat, the audience, yeah. and it's so idea. beautiful. I love yeah. that. That's very I'm, cool. We've talked before about there's there's a thing in the South where um, when someone's talking to you, there's an expectation that you will constantly confirm the things they say, compliment when they say anything that declares anything. And so it's weird if you talk to someone who's not used to that culture because it feels like they're being rude. Because we're used to constantly like, yes, oh, absolutely, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so right. Oh, you listen with your totally. mouth in the south. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like if you don't say those things, you're being rude. Um, and that's a weird thing, though, because it's there is something interesting about um, that kind of expression. Like it's – I will – Often someone will say something, and I'll be in a group talking or whatever, and I'll, I just unconsciously I'll, I'll clap when someone says something. And I'm not thinking about it, but I'll clap because I'm used to they said something I like, so I'll clap. Um, that's a weird thing that we have these, like, response mechanisms. And I love the idea of, like, just making one up and I've gotten bad up. about ripping out my underwear and throwing <laughs> at people when they say things in business meetings. <laughs> face. Yeah. Like, I'm on like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bubbles might lead to a little bit less chafing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Bubbles less chafing. That's their tagline. Bubbles is tagline. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. like, when I was in college, I thought it was the doofiest thing in the world. Like, you'd be talking to someone... And they would say something about, like, liberating their female sexuality. And people would all go, yes, like, I totally see it. And I thought it was really goofy. And now that Mm I um, am sort of in this situation where that type of feedback is actually really healing and really community building, I love it. And I've started doing it. Like, someone will say something just out in the wild. I'll be like, yes, that's, like, so good. And it's really validating, actually. Yeah, it's the proto-like button. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The snap, yeah, yeah. I snap into yeah. a thumbs I'm gonna, up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna start next time. Like I'm, you know, I'm at a restaurant or something, and and the waiter or waitress says something that I I like. I'm gonna <laughs> snap it. I'm them. sure yeah, the waiter or waitress will <laughs> yeah. love that. Yeah, feel I'm really sure supported. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> yeah. healing to use yeah. your word. Yeah, for them, I'm sure. <laughs> but in terms of what you were talking about earlier about um, traumatic stories, um, so we've uh, when a traumatic story comes up. You know, you can't always say, I know what you're talking about. Right. Um, 
And to empathize falsely is actually really alienating. Mm, um, like, oh, you, you know, lost your parent? Like, yeah, my dog died and yeah, it right. really yeah, sucked. Exactly. You know, like, it's really, really isolating to hear someone falsely empathize. And so something like a snap or a bubble or even just say saying heard, like, I hear yeah. you, you've been heard, is really powerful. Um, but, yeah, it's there's definitely, when you're dealing with trauma... So storytelling can be very healing because um, you're taking, especially when it's something difficult that's happened to you, you are basically gaining agency in it. You're saying, okay, this was the beginning, this was the middle, and this was the end. It's this finite thing. Mm -hmm. It's already happened. And I got to decide what it was about. That's really healing. When you're dealing with a bad memory, it's really good. When you're dealing with a traumatic memory, it's actually kind of a different thing because Mm -hmm. um, trauma is stored in our brains differently than a bad memory. And so when you're bringing up trauma, you have the risk of um, traumatic episodes, of flashback memories, and it can actually, if you if you aren't prepared for that type of episode, it can actually be, like, really harmful. So mm-hmm. we, we make it really clear we are not clinical psychologists. Like, yeah. we can't bear mm-hmm. the burden of that. And so that's maybe part of why trauma doesn't come up as much because... Okay. Yeah, it yeah. it is actually like clinically different than a bad experience. Yeah. But either way, whether it's bad and I can't relate or traumatic and I can't relate, it can be really helpful to just be like, I hear you. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. So um the the plans are then to keep doing these meetings, um, to to maybe to get more people to come to the slams, more people to come to the events. Are you looking for more people to participate in the meetings, or is it kind of... The meetings are sort of reaching a saturation point, and if there are more people, you know, we could add in another day. Yeah. Um, But once you get... Most of our exercises are really built for, like, a 15 to 20 number, and our last meeting had, like, 32. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, But it's summer. It's nice weather. Like, when when it's not nice out, people don't, you know, show up. I think... um, yeah, definitely be more of a household name in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, have people increase our access. So we have access for the type of people who would seek us out. And then we also have an outreach arm of what we do. So we, um, we've we been doing workshops for veterans. So once a month we will get together and we've tailored our program for one group of veterans. And then we also have been working at the um, VA with some visually impaired veterans and so outreach, because it's people who wouldn't have necessarily come to us, right. we kind of go to them. So we're working on that arm. And then, yeah, we're kind of just, we're about to embark on talking to a lot of community stakeholders, sort of, we've been around for a year and a half or so, maybe. What? How do you guys see us in the landscape of arts and nonprofit groups? Um, should we incorporate kind of... Yeah. The, the next big steps. That's great. Yeah. But my yeah. personal dream is definitely um, when I see my friends in other places trying to make friends and trying to create community, wanting to be able to give them some sort of handbook. Well, this is what I did and it worked really well. Yeah. And you can do it in your community too. That's really exciting to me. That's great. Well, good for you and good for y'all for the success. Yeah. I mean, has. it's been such a blast. It's been really fun. So. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, um, the podcast again is the Charlotte Storytellers podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, I'm working on our website right now, so that'll be 
up. It's um, right now the website charlottestorytellers.com is just a black and white sort of really bare bones thing, but we have kind of accrued a bunch of photos that will give everybody a better idea of sort of what we do and what the vibe is. Very cool. Color photos. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Kodachrome. <laughs> how to uh, tintype. Um, we've turned on, her on to tintype. Uh, yeah, palette, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how do people uh, find out when the next uh, slam or event is? Sure. So um, joining our Facebook group is a really good way to do that. It's just um, Charlotte Storytellers. I'll Storytellers is one word. We'll link to um, it. I'll say one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll and then it, yeah. Twitter and Instagram is pretty active. That's um, that's usually we're always posting. We'll like we'll inundate your feed yeah. with. Um, we'll do we do lots of like promos. So we have a show coming up, like one of the really big ones, and I'm actually really excited about this one. So there's a project in Charlotte going on um, called Goodyear Arts, and basically. They took over an abandoned Goodyear building that is now being demolished. But in the meantime, the developers said, hey, we're still trying to get the permits. You can turn this into an art space. And so they had the most incredible shows and installations. And it was just incredible. So, so cool. And so that's... It's a ticking time bomb. Right, right. But I think (laughs) that... The transience is part of why people really wanted to go oh, and like real, get in while you could. Cool, yeah. So yeah. they just changed locations to a different spot uh, in Uptown, and my roommate and co-founder is one of the residents there, and so she spoke with them, and we're actually going to do our next show at that space. Oh, very cool! So it'll be this like storytelling experience surrounded by art in downtown Charlotte. Yeah. Um, it's so 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 cool. That's great. Yeah. Do, do you have a date for that yet? Yeah, it's August 5th and 6th. Okay. Yeah, so I can give you guys all the information on yeah, that. Yeah, we'll but put it on the website. It should be fun. It should be really fun. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Hope I didn't say anything too terrible or stupid. Or Yeah, that was a lot of stuff. It was pretty, it was pretty <laughs> well, awful. I know. Yeah. You guys haven't started recording yet, right? No. no. Okay, it's cool. been a warm-up. That yeah. was why I was able to speak so freely. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, because we, we weren't recording yeah, yet. Yeah, let's rein it in a little yeah. bit. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's clean so. up the language. <laughs> uh, Chris, anything you'd be remiss without saying? Absolutely not. Really? You've said yes. everything. I'd be remiss if I said more. Oh, you would? <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, what would you say that you'd be remiss about? Oh, gosh. Don't get me started. <laughs> this dang politics. <laughs> you got this one thing that doesn't work, and the other thing's crazy. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was my bit. That was good. <laughs> you did good. How long have you been working on that? A while. Right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, Nora, anything you'd be remiss if you didn't discuss or point out or share? Um, not that I can think of. Okay. Uh, listen to our podcast. That would, that's a really good way for if you don't live in Charlotte to sort of keep up on what we're doing and yeah. come to our meetings, come to our shows, and just be a good human, I guess. That's good advice. Good. Yeah. Be a good human. Well, that sounds like something Silent Micah would say. Micah, you want to um, one-up her with some kind of like amazing comment? Well said. Well said. Wow, yeah. Nora, you, you sure are surely embarrassed. Yeah, I just yeah. got schooled. You totally I'm, got I'm gonna schooled. I'm going to go back yeah. to Charlotte. Went to a dark place. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll uh, see you next week on Old Town, New World.